Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. But we do gather to praise God, and uh, it's one of the things that's important, not just in what we do here, but with our students and with our children, and why Summer Kids Club is such a big deal, because uh, in a few, few weeks, we're going to be inviting not only our kids, but hopefully many, many more children to join us on those evenings uh, of our Summer Kids Club as an opportunity to experience the love of God so that they want to also praise Him and say, how great, how great our God. And that's why you, you and, and I are so important, is because there are people that you, you know that don't have a church home that you can invite that, that maybe nobody else in here knows. And you can have a, a part in what God wants to do in their life. So we encourage you to, to be inviting as we approach this in just a very few weeks uh, to, to let God use you in that. We also, uh, this morning, just we, we, we mourn the passing of a very dear friend and saint in our church, uh, Roy Newberry, uh, who had such a heart for God uh, Roy passed away early Friday morning. Roy is the spiritual father of Starfish Kenya, of, of uh, the children at House of Hope and, and St. Anna's School, and has done so much. And yet his heart has always been for the least, the last, and the lost. And uh, before the early service this morning, one of you was talking to me about um, a, a friend, a common a mutual friend they had, uh, and, and how Roy was talking to him about Jesus. And how much Jesus could love his life, did love his life, and could make a difference in his life. And that's just was typical of Roy. And so we're going to celebrate his life this Tuesday at four o'clock and uh, ask that you be praying for Pam and, and all the rest of the family as they, they go through this time. Um, looking today, uh, I, I want to tell you a little bit about my son, just briefly, uh, and since Betsy got to talk a little bit about her her siblings. Uh, my son, William, uh, growing up, had a lot of allergies. In fact, I, I've been kind of working through pictures from when he was very young, a few weeks old. And, and, it, it, and sometimes he was so cute, and sometimes he was just mottled, you know? He said, is that my kid? You know, I don't remember. But, but he had a lot of allergies, and stuff kind of bothered him. And, and eventually, we had him tested and discovered that he had a high allergy to peanuts, um, also cats. So please, don't ever try to give us a cat, okay? Just saying, uh, it, it, it doesn't work for us. And so we became very careful with him, and, we, and as he got a little bit older, he became aware, and he himself became very careful and very concerned about uh, you know, foods he ate. He would touch base with us. Is this safe for me to eat, mom or mom, dad, whatever the case may be? And we, we continued to have him tested over the years, and at one point, you know, we, we kept him away from a lot of the things that tend to create allergic reactions, but at one point in his testing discovered that he was not allergic to shellfish, to seafood, to shrimp. And yet, because he had for so long been kind of encouraged not to do something like that, not to eat something he didn't know anything about, he really didn't want to. And it was, it was a matter of maybe a couple of years before we finally got him to try shrimp. But when we did, oh my goodness, he, he discovered something new in his life that he loved, and he's been a fan ever since, as many of us are. 
And, and most of us don't give eating shrimp a second thought. I mean, some of you will probably leave today and go have shrimp. Or now that I've mentioned shrimp, you will intentionally go and get some shrimp. But for a Jewish person, it is forbidden based on Scripture in the Old Testament of the Bible. In Deuteronomy 14, but also found in Leviticus, it, it talks about... It says, of all that are in the waters, you may eat these. Whatever has fins and scales, you may eat. And whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. In other words, shellfish. The, the Jews were prohibited uh, in the time of Moses from doing that, and that, that has carried forward. But a question all Christ followers need to consider is, you know, this, this Bible is, this command is found in the Bible, so does it apply to me? I mean, when I mentioned going to get shrimp, I saw a few of your heads. Yeah. I'm thinking about this. Yeah, I wouldn't have, I might not have thought about it if you hadn't have said it, Randy. But now shrimp's sounding pretty good. Now you're telling me that it's against the Bible? Oh my gosh, what have I done? You know? Uh, is Landry filled with sinners? Is it, is it the, the sinner's haven? I mean, that's a question... I'm, I'm, yeah, we're, we're laughing a little bit, but it really points to a, a bigger issue that, that you asked about as part of this series that we've entitled, What Do I Do When? The, the question basically asks, what do I do when the world questions me on the validity of some things in the Bible, yet we disregard other things? And it's a great question. In fact, it is a very important question because we believe that all scripture is incredibly valuable to how God wants us to live. And the Bible itself testifies to that. You, you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it says all scripture. I mean, right there at the beginning, all scripture. It doesn't say some scripture. It doesn't say, in fact, when it said all scripture, it was, in fact, the only scripture that was written at that point was the Old Testament. So all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So when we dismiss the Old Testament or we, we say, well, I don't, I don't like what it says, you know? I don't, I don't like that part. I, I, I'm good with what Jesus said. I'm good with some of the stuff in the New Testament, but I don't like that, or I don't agree with that. There's no way that could be right, or nobody does it that way, or it's the Old Testament, and, and it's not from Jesus, so we're not bound by it. We're disobeying Scripture when we go down that path. Now hear me, because this is really important. This is a bigger issue than shrimp. Scripture says it is all all useful. And yet I like shrimp. Can I get an amen? And I eat it. So am I a hypocrite? Am I a terrible sinner? Or is there something more here that maybe some of us are missing? And that's what I want us to dig into and see if we can make some sense out of this. And and more importantly, gain a sense of how to deal with even more important issues than shrimp, as important as shrimp may be for some of us. So we're going to spend our time here this morning looking at some insights for interpreting the Bible. 
And the very first thing, and, and where I'm going to spend actually the bulk of my time is this. Through something called progressive revelation, God did not reveal everything to humanity all at once. God didn't simply tell one writer at one time to spell everything out all at once. What we know is the Bible was written over 1,500 years. As time progressed, God revealed more and more of his will and purposes until in Jesus Christ we receive the fullest revelation of, of who God is and what he desires for each one of us. In Romans 16, the apostle Paul writes, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. The Apostle Paul here is making a distinction between the revelation of God that he has previously given, often through prophets, but also through Moses and others, and what he's now disclosing in that time or revealing in Jesus. And, and what we see is he, he revealed some things in the book of Genesis and then Exodus and then Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and then he did some more in Judges and Kings and, and, and Chronicles and then more in the Psalms and then the in Proverbs and then in the prophets through the prophets themselves. God revealed so much about himself and his plans in the Old Testament but, but it's not the entire story because we know that he tells us some things, he gives us some predictions in the Old Testament that had not by the time of Jesus, by, by 0 AD, had not yet come true, had not been fulfilled. And yet many of them increasingly pointed to one who would deliver us, a Messiah. And so what we see here, and this is really important, what we see here is not, a, not progress from untruth to truth, that, that somehow the Old Testament is, is second class, that it, it doesn't tell us the truth or it, it's, it's messed up somehow, or we can just dismiss it because it's Old Testament. That's one of the things in the second century, there were, there were men of God who were trying to discern what was Scripture, and some of them said, we want to leave the whole Old Testament out because we don't like some of the things that are in there. Some of the things don't line up with what we think it ought to be. But wiser heads and counsels of God, with God's help through the leading of the Spirit, discerned that that could not be. So it, the progress is not from untruth to truth, but from less information to more information until we get to the entire New Testament and we find God's revelation now is completely sufficient for salvation, for faithful living. Jesus himself affirmed that God was now revealing things that, that hadn't been seen, that, that were unknown in Old Testament times. He said in Matthew 13, I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. He didn't say what they had heard was wrong. He said they were, there was still more to come. The New Testament under, writers understood that God was using Jesus and even some of their own writings to reveal more and more of his glorious plan and future for his people. When we get to Hebrews, one of the later books in the New Testament, it begins this way. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Now, this doesn't mean that later portions of Scripture, particularly the New Testament, are somehow of 
higher value than earlier writings or that they are of greater inspiration by the Holy Spirit than some of the earlier ones, but that God has revealed his will more and with more clarity as more scripture was written. And this is really kind of the point of progressive revelation. It is a movement. It's not one thing all at once. And so from long before the time of the New Testament, God was already revealing through his prophets that there would be more, that he would bring into being a new covenant, more of, and a more complete understanding of, of, of what Abraham had begun to grasp, of what Moses began to see. In Jeremiah 31, it says, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And this would occur with the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, we call it, as he came to live in all Christ's followers versus up until that point only coming to live in some of them for particular tasks. In this new covenant, the relationship of God's people and this thing called the law or so much of what was in the Old Testament had begun to morph or change. Not go away, not be bad, but begin because new and more was being shown. Jesus said, do you do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And a part of that was that some of the things of the old covenant, which were necessary back then, would no longer be necessary later. You know, we need to think sometimes about how the Bible came into being. In the time of Abraham, 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before the time of Christ, there was no Bible. There was nothing written down. Abraham had nothing. Abraham had a voice that spoke to him. There had never been any writings. There may have been a story or two that had come down from the time of Noah. But the truth of the matter was there were no writings. Moses, for the first 80 years of his life, had no writings. He had heard the story passed down to him of Abraham. And then as they wandered in the wilderness, in those, the latter part of those 40 years, he began to write these things down that God has told them for the very first time. So we, we go through hundreds of years where people have literally nothing in writing. Now that's weird to you and me because if you and I have a question, we just pop open the Bible. We've got scripture that we've memorized or we've at least heard. Or at least when we see it on the television of the football game, John 3.16, we know some context. But see, they don't have that. David gives us Psalms. Solomon gives us Proverbs. Prophets such as Isaiah, Elijah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, many others hear from God and tell that, and it is written down. And then in Jesus, we meet God in person. Jesus said in John 12, for when you see me, you're seeing the one who sent me. And again, in John 14, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
And, and through Jesus and through later writings in the New Testament, many of the changes of this new covenant come into focus. For instance, many of the food laws instituted to, to separate out the Jews. We, we think, why in the world would we, they do this? But see, the Jews were not a big people. They were not the most numerous. They weren't a powerful people. And yet God wanted to use them. He said, I didn't choose you because you were strong or you were the biggest or you were the smartest. In fact, I chose you because you were kind of the least. Now think about that for a little bit. And especially if you're feeling like you don't really matter, hey, you are perfect for God. You really do. And you're, you're often the very person he wants to use. That's what he did with the Jews. And they're thinking, we don't matter. And God says, I'm going to come in and I'm going to do things in and through you to make you stand out from the rest. And you're going to have to do some things that you don't understand. And in fact, I'm going to institute some laws about food, some laws about how you dress, some laws about how you deal with things in life that you're going to think are kind of crazy. But you need to trust me. You need to obey me. And if you do these things, you will be different. And the word we often use, we find in the Bible, is holy. You will be unlike the other peoples. And then when they see amazing things happen, when they see Pharaoh's army wiped out in a flood, when they see you going through the, the wilderness for 40 years and your clothes never wear out and food appears on the ground for you every morning except the Sabbath, but I gave you double a portion the day before. When they start seeing these things and experiencing these things, they're going to look at you and say, you Jews aren't much. So if you're accomplishing this, there's got to be more to this than you. That's the way God has always worked. He's always said, look, if you try to do it in your own strength, everybody says, look what you did. But if you do, it, if you do the impossible or, you, or somebody that nobody expects to do it, then people start to look around and they have questions and they start to realize there's more going on here than what I can imagine. There is a God here who is instituted. And so these laws separated the Jews out from all the other people groups of their time. And in some cases, maybe the laws protected them from foods that they lacked knowledge to eat safely. But by the time of Jesus, these were, these were no longer necessary and they were repealed by Jesus and later through a vision to Peter. Jesus said in, in Matthew, Mark 7, don't you understand either, he asked, can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart. In other words, the, the core of your being. It doesn't mean your physical heart. It means the core of your being. Food doesn't go into the, your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. And then Mark puts in parentheses, by saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's sight. Man, this was a big moment for the Jews. This changed everything. It's, and, and, and Mark is so confident that this is a big deal that he even makes a note about it. He says, I don't want you to miss this. He, and, then he, and then going on about Jesus, he added, it's what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Peter hears this, but Peter still doesn't get it. And so in Acts chapter 10, it says, Peter saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. 
Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. And this practicing Jew said, no, Lord, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean, regardless of what Jesus said. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. And so, for the followers of Jesus, from that point on, there was no food in and of itself that we could not eat, whether it's shrimp, okay? So some of you are kind of, were lighting up about that, it's okay. Or pork, or anything else for that matter. God's plan was being progressively revealed, and he changed aspects of it as it as he made more and more clear his ultimate plan. For instance, some have divided the law of the Old Testament into the three categories, moral law, ceremonial law, and civil or judicial law. And, and these aren't perfect divisions. In fact, they're not actually laid out biblically, uh, but they appear and, and people have looked at them and, and they tend to help us understand what does apply and what doesn't. The civil or judicial law revolved around those laws that were part, were part of the operation for Israel as a nation. I mean, how do we function? What's right? What's wrong? How do we organize ourselves? Especially because they were a theocracy, not a democracy, very different from us. It, it, and it included the punishments. So when you did something wrong, when you committed adultery, it, it, there was a law and it said stone them. That was the law back then. And so somebody asked, well, does that mean I should be stoned today? Well, here's where some of those things change. Ceremonial law revolved around laws that distinguished Israel from the other nations. These are the food laws, the dietary laws, uh, the types of sacrifices, the clothing, the cleanness and uncleanness. And then there were the moral laws based on God's holy nature. To, to promote the welfare of God's people through their obedience. These were a part of who God was. These were the, found, the fundamentals, the foundational things about justice and respect and sexual immorality and the Ten Commandments. And so the civil and ceremonial laws were given very specifically to the nation of Israel. But with Jesus, the role of Israel was opened to all people. So generally, the civil or judicial law and the ceremonial laws ended with Jesus' coming. And this new covenant that Jeremiah predicted was now being fulfilled with Jesus. And it wasn't about the law or the rules, but about the heart. The moral law remained in place as this picture of God's will for human life and living. Though things like punishments for breaking the moral laws were a part of Israel's story, not a part of those who came afterwards because they were part of the civil or judicial law. So we don't stone people for the, all the same reasons that they did in the Old Testament. Now, I, I, maybe this is a little confusing and, and, and all, and there's an analogy that comes to mind that helps me maybe put, put this in a big picture. And it's like, how do we raise our kids? And I remember so clearly when I was, was very young, we, I grew up on a corner and one of the streets was kind of busy. There was a girls' Catholic high school on this corner. Down at the other end of the block was a boys' Catholic high school. So sometimes there were young people driving around, and they were being a little crazy. So my parents were very, very concerned. And as they slowly began to let me out of the house, they established, and I still remembered, I could take you there today, 
you know those little um, uh, expansion joints in the, in the concrete, in the sidewalk? They, they, there was one of them, and I couldn't cross it. I could, I could walk up to it, but I couldn't cross it. Because beyond that, they believed, at, at like three years old, I, I didn't know enough. They established very concrete pictures of what I could do, what I couldn't do. You know, when, when you're having a baby, or if you're a, 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 a grandparent and, and the kids are bringing the baby, what happens in your house? Do some of those beautiful glass things suddenly get put away? Do you kind of you figure out how to keep the cabinets closed? Why? Because that little one doesn't know. And they need very formal, strict limits for their protection. But then they start to grow up and, and, and they start to learn. And the, the, you know, as I got a little bit older, I could cross the line, but I couldn't leave the immediate neighborhood. Uh, and then by the time I was 12 or 13 and I had a bike, as long as I was home by dark, they were fine. You know, I could go wherever that bike would get me. Because by that point, it wasn't, it wasn't just about rules now. It was starting to be about principles, about how to be safe. Like a car weighs a couple of tons. And if you get in front of a moving car, it will hurt you. So you stay away. You, you use good judgment. You don't hang on to the rear bumper as it's driving past you on the street on your, your, your you know, bike. Because that wasn't wise. And, and we start learning these things and we start discovering that there are principles that are bigger than the rules because the rules were there when I was very young to protect me. But as I got older, I could start to understand and I didn't have to have the same rules, but I had to start understanding the principles because if I had to always live by rules, I would always, I would always be wondering what to do in a, in a new situation that I had found. Let me tell you, People love to write laws, but as soon as you write a law, someone figures another way around it. I mean, here's the thing. There was that line. I could have just stepped up on the grass, walked across the grass, stepped back onto the sidewalk, and I didn't cross the line, right? I mean, technically, legalistically, and that's the, what happens with us when we get caught up in this law mindset instead of the principle of what does it take to be safe, where can you go, how do you treat people, those kinds of things. And, and as kids grow older, we, we start sharing not the, the rules so much, but the principles behind the rules because that's what you and I need to make decisions because they're going, to be, they're going to be places that our kids come to, that we come to in life, that there's no rule. Or the rule doesn't make sense. And so we need a principle. And God opened that up. Because people can always find loopholes around, uh, around rules. But principles point to the big picture and can sometimes uh, require different thoughts and actions depending on the circumstances. There, there may be a circumstance where a good friend of mine, I need to give them $500 and another circumstance where that another friend has an equal kind of need and the last thing I need to do is give them $500. Well, 
What's the rule? The, it's not. It's a principle. Love. Do what is best for them. Jesus came telling us that rules were never adequate in and of themselves. And the Apostle Paul warned us even that, that sin could use the rules. That sin, he talks about this in Romans and Galatians. He says that, that sin can convince us that, that I can keep the rules good enough to make God happy or to get into heaven or do whatever needs to be done. And that somehow then I do it on my own. And the church is filled with people who, who have good intentions but are trying to do it on their own. And certainly beyond the church. The, the sin convinces us, distorts our thinking on this. Because we get caught up in the rules. And we can be good enough on our own. And we don't need God's help. And we just need to try harder. And it, the law, the rules actually sometimes show us that it is impossible to perfectly obey them. Why we need God. It's why... Jesus lifted up the principle of love, helping us see that, that love might help us do one thing in one circumstance and do another in another and, and because it's the right thing for the person. In fact, he said in Matthew 22, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now what's interesting is both of those statements are found in the Old Testament. Both of them. They're not unique. Jesus did not invent something with what we call the great commandment. But what he did is he pulled them together and he said, this is the principle. All these other rules and laws grow out of this to help establish boundaries, to help know what is safe, what is not. But sometimes those boundaries aren't sufficient. We need more than that, and love becomes the answer. This principle of love always calls us away from legalism to instead accept someone for who they are and work sacrificially for their good. And so, interestingly, but you know this if you think about it, the loving thing could be the exact opposite in two different cases, depending on the person and their situation, which is why God's goal has never been the rules, but the relationship. Just as ultimately it is for us as parents with our kids. It's not the rules. It's we love them. We want to protect them. And there's some rules that from the time they're this big to the time they're this big will always be true. But there's some principles that they need to have that help them navigate life. And that's what God wants us to understand. But that's where we get into problems sometimes when someone starts pulling up and lifting up details from the Old Testament and say, look, you don't do this, or you, should be, you shouldn't be eating shrimp. They don't understand that some of that has gone away. There's no longer food restrictions, so we're free. And progressive revelation helps us to understand many things that, that happened one way in the Old Testament, then began to morph or become different in the New Testament as God began to not move beyond the rules to write the covenant on our hearts. God didn't change, but he revealed more and more of his plan leading to, to changes at times, but never, never undercutting the foundational principles at the core and heart of God. And that gives us a fuller picture of God and his love for us. Now, there are a couple of other 
tools that we can use, and I'm going to just hit on them very quickly. Uh, they're not, the, the progressive revelation was kind of the biggie, but a couple other things that you need to be aware of. Um, and the second is that we have to consider context. In other words, it's easy to lift up a verse or a passage and, and interpret it apart from its setting in the Bible. And the results of doing that may not reflect God's will. Uh, two old friends met one day, hadn't seen each other in a long time. The first guy asked his friend, how's everything been going with you? And the, and the second guy said, man, it's going great. I tell you what, one day I got my Bible out and I just, I, I closed my eyes and I ran and put my finger down on, on the page and under the word, my finger was the word oil. And I invested in oil and I made a killing. So I decided to try it again and I opened my Bible and I put my finger down and this time it said gold and I made even more money. I got so much money, I don't know what to do with it. I'm rich. And the first guy he's hearing this, he says, oh my gosh, he goes back to his hotel, he gets out his Gideon's Bible, he finds it there in the by the bed, and he opens it, and he closes his eyes, and he, you know, he does one of these numbers and pages, and boom! Chapter 11. Hmm. See, out of context, we can get the totally wrong idea of what God wants to say to us. For instance, quoting directly from the Bible, this is a verbatim quote, it says, there is no God. And it's a capital G God. It's not a little G. It's a capital G God. Now, is that something that we want to lift up and we want to proclaim? That kind of flies in the face of who we are and what we're about as a church, right? However, if you look at the verse, the whole verse, verse Psalm 14.1 says, Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. See the context? See the difference? People like to say, I can prove anything with the Bible. And that's right, if you take it out of context. But if you don't take it out of context, if you look at it, you can't prove anything because God hasn't said everything goes. But we've got to understand. Context is about everything surrounding a text, including when it was written, what else was written in the same passage, what else the Bible says elsewhere, the type of literature it is, and more. For instance, history, if you're reading Kings or Chronicles, uh, it's interpreted differently from poetry. And poetry is interpreted differently from prophecy, and prophecy is interpreted di differently from letters. And when you consider that while the Bible is, is generally plain in its meaning, it was written over a period of, of uh, 1,500 years, more than 40 authors, in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, writing in different styles, in different cultural and social settings, and revealing progressively more and more of God's plan and intentions. Knowing that, context matters. Yet God's Spirit worked through all these to present one message of the redemption of the human race through His Son, Jesus Christ. But we can't ignore context. And sometimes that's what our friends do. They, they take something out of context. And which leads to the third insight about interpreting the Bible, that while we need to read the Bible on our own, all of us, we may need the help of the community of faith to interpret it. The community of faith includes your friends who have been in church, maybe who have studied this stuff before, who are with you in a Bible study or in a mentoring session. It could be through commentaries. It could be through websites. It could be that help you interpret. It could be from Bibles that don't just have the text but have some study notes in them. 
In fact, I, I tell people that if they're new to reading God's Word, I encourage them to get a study Bible. Not because you can't read it, but because there are issues sometimes of context or story or background, and that study Bible will give you some other information. And a commentary is just an extended study help. And there's some of those available, in fact, online. Um, and, and above all, the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit saying? We need these because, as most of us know, while there are parts of the Bible that are clear, there are also parts we're unsure of that, you know, like, can I eat shrimp? For some of you, that wasn't an issue before we came in today. And then for about two seconds it was, and then you dismissed it. But now you know you really can't eat shrimp. It's okay. And, and if we aren't seeking good answers, most often through the community of faith, we can be stumped by others who see no validity in the Bible and who can pull up something obscure and ask us, and we feel like we're lost or we don't have anything to say instead of taking time. It's interesting that Peter, the apostle Peter, wrote this. He said, some of Paul's comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different just as they do with other parts of Scripture. And this will result in their destruction. People still do that today. People take Scripture out of context, out of the big plan, and they twist it, and they tell us something, and we get all worried. I can't eat shrimp anymore. When it was taken, it, it, it wasn't valid. Some of this stuff we've got to dig into. And all of us need this help in, in this journey. We, we have a hard time recognizing one really key reality of the Bible, and that's that it was written to and always understood in the setting or the context of a community of faith. I want to tell you, people in biblical times would not understand the level of individualism that we experience today in 21st century America. This is a relatively, historically, this is a relatively new concept, only the last two or three centuries. For most of modern history, it's always been us. We've done this together. We've found it together. We've depended on one another together, whether it was a family unit or a tribe or a group of people. It's only been in the last few centuries and really in the last few decades that it's mostly been me and I and what I think versus, well, what does the community think? How do we do this together? The men and women of the Bible thought in terms of their community, their relationships, their covenant community with others, recognizing they needed each other. We weren't meant by God to go through this to, to, alone. When he created Adam, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. He called, From the very beginning, he said, we need each other. And whether it was the Jewish nation of 3,000 years ago or the church today, Christianity has always been grounded in community. The great commandment says that. Love God, but love your neighbor, people. It's all about being in community, in relationship, and Scripture itself affirms this. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So we encourage people to get into small groups, not because somebody back at the home office is checking it off. Whoops, they don't have enough people in groups. No, because the Bible says this is important. The Bible shows us this is how we learn the Bible demonstrates to us that the community of faith is a part of the journey that all of us are on. And so whether you allow us to form a group for you or you form your own, 
we, we will be doing sign-ups in just the next week or so for, for summer groups that will be beginning at the end of this month. We, and, and we also offer a Wednesday evening Bible study right now, and it will be a part of that, the next grouping that's at 7 o'clock that's intended to not only study a book of the Bible, but also give you insights on how to study books of the Bible, how to do it, not just learn from it, but learn how to learn, how to go through with that. And on the Find It page on our website, we've included some, some resources, a, a, a PDF on apologetics, like what happens when I get asked these questions I don't know how to deal with. Well, there have been a lot of people who thought about them. And some of these websites can give you some intelligent answers. And also some Bible resources, so you know where to look up some of this. That's the second one. And, and so when someone questions you on the validity of certain teachings of the, in the Bible, recognize that we move through the Bible as we move through it, God reveals more and more of his plan through progressive revelation. And sometimes what appears to be an inconsistency isn't. And it's important to consider the context of what we're reading, or we go off on a tangent, which doesn't align with God's purpose and intent. And finally, there is this incredible value of reading and studying the Bible in community with one another as a way of guarding against misinterpretation or being exposed to thoughts that we, we never even thought of before, we missed. I, I, for some of you this morning, I said something you never thought of before that never crossed your mind. That's the community of faith. And that's what happens when we do that with each other. You don't have to just get that from a preacher. You can get that from lots of people around you. But at the same time, guys, let me just say this as we close. We have to recognize that some people, they don't want to consider that there are good reasons why the Bible's teachings are valid. And, and, and quite honestly, that's becoming more and more true as our world becomes more secularized. Uh, it, it's happening all around us. And people laugh, and they, 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 don't, they, don't think the, they think the Bible's outdated, and it doesn't matter, and you're crazy if you're in a church. And, and it can make some of us mad. It can make some of us want to kind of lash out or, or get back at them. But I want to suggest to you that that was never how Jesus dealt with it. And I, I would suggest to you that it takes a lot of humility on our parts and a lot of love and grace. First, to sometimes say, I don't know. Yeah, you raise a good point, and I don't have the answer for that. But I'm going to go find out. And you can. There are answers for many of your questions. Just as the, 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 the one who submitted this question had some particulars. And, and here's the thing. Just as God raised up the, the Israelites from, who were nobodies, and he worked through them, that's exactly what he wants to do through you and me. He, he, he wants us to love that person and be kind to them even when they're not. Even when they, they want to put us down. They want to say, you're stupid for thinking that. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I want you to love them back. Not because I want you to, but because that's what God wants. Did you know why? That's what Jesus did. And I guarantee you, you stick with someone and you, you continue to, to love on them and you continue to be kind, and you continue to encourage them, and at some point, they're going to run up against an inconsistency in life that they have no explanation for. And you will have earned the opportunity to talk about your Jesus and to tell them how he got you through. No, you don't have all the answers. You don't have it all figured out. 
you know what? You're not supposed to. Because otherwise that would be, mean you were God. See, that's part of the temptation that runs through. We're supposed to know it all. But in humility, to admit what you do and what you've experienced and what God can do. And I promise you, God can work through that in incredible ways. None of us will ever have every answer. But we can trust that God's word is real and true. And sometimes it asks us to obey when we don't understand. But there's a bigger picture at work here. Our actions speak louder than our words. And love is always better than any argument. Our prayer team will be up here if you need to talk to somebody. Maybe you're dealing with something or dealing with someone. Or you need to find out about Jesus for yourself. They would love to talk with you. Don't forget Summer Kids Club and inviting those kids because what an opportunity to reveal to them, to help them experience the love of Christ that can change their lives. And that changes the world. Rules and laws won't change the world. But Jesus Christ and a person's heart can. And that's why we do Summer Kids Club. We're not here to entertain. We're here about the transformation of the world. And it starts with one child at a time. Guys, we're on a mission. And we'll be celebrating communion right here and in just three or four minutes. If, you're, if you want to receive communion, which is a, a powerful reminder of what God did, you can go pick up your kids. And then we'd ask you to come and sit on the floor area. And, and uh, Tom will be up in just a few minutes and he'll lead you through that and, and experience that. And some of us will also be out here to greet you if you're new and you want to say hello, uh, or Gateway family, you brought somebody, bring them over there and tell, let them say hello to us. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we thank you so much that your grace is sufficient. There's so much we don't get, and, and we know, we know that people can ask us questions, and people have ideas about some of this stuff that we don't get. We, we do ourselves sometimes, Father, if we're honest, and there are parts of the Old Testament especially that sometimes we scratch our head and we kind of want to dismiss and Father, I ask that you would help us repent of that. And I ask that you would help us confess that to you. And I ask that you would help us see your hand at work, progressing through the Bible, revealing more and more of your truth, and seeing the power of how you work and the joy of what you can do. And, that, and, and using us for your glory, for your purposes, for your kingdom here on earth. I pray that for each one of us this morning, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. See you here next time. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.